Good morning, good morning, Northwest, and go ahead and be seated. Well, happy Palm Sunday, everybody. Thank you, thank you. Come on, Sunday to me too, from Monica, only from Monica. And Karen, okay, well, to the rest of you, I don't know. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, I was reading an article the other day that was entitled, Perfectionism is Killing Us. The title of the article was, Perfectionism is Killing Us. And I, I read another article on perfectionism, and it was talking about how, you know, perfectionism is kind of this double-edged sword, right? So, like, on, on the one hand, perfectionism is what motivates people a lot of times, maybe motivates many of you, many of us, to work really hard, to accomplish a lot of things, to keep going when things are tough. Very often, people who are perfectionistic are very successful in their field if they find a field that they really excel at. And so they get a lot of praise. They're very well-liked by their coworkers because they're so thoughtful and thorough and dependable. But on the other hand, perfectionism has some downsides too, doesn't it? This article I was reading was talking about, you know, perfectionists are often haunted, absolutely haunted, by mistakes they've made in the past or ways that they failed. And they tend to just beat themselves up. They can't let things go, even if it was things that they did many years ago in the past. They, they beat themselves up and they can't let things go. They're haunted by their mistakes. On the other hand, maybe a little bit counterintuitively, sometimes for a perfectionist, it's really hard to admit your mistakes. It's hard to really take responsibility if you've failed or if you've hurt somebody or something like that. And you might say, well, why is that? Well, at the basis, at the at kind of underneath perfectionism is this belief that if I'm not perfect and if I don't appear perfect, something terrible is going to happen to me. It's kind of that fear. And so think about that. Well, if, if my imperfection is going to cause something terrible to happen to me, well, I better be perfect. And if I'm not perfect, I better convince myself and other people around me that I am Otherwise, something terrible is going to happen to me. Perfectionism also, you know, while it can motivate us to succeed, it very often holds us back, too. Because perfectionism says, don't get out of your comfort zone. Okay, here's this thing that you're really good at. Everybody thinks you do an awesome job at this. Don't go try that new thing, because what if you're not good at it? What if you feel foolish? And so we tend to be afraid of challenges, afraid of new things, because after all, what if we fail? Now, perfectionism isn't so much a type of person as it is a way of thinking that can influence different people in different ways at different times, maybe in different activities. Maybe you can be perfectionistic at work perfectionistic at home, perfectionistic in your relationship with God. To what extent would you say that you, to what extent would you say that perfectionism has an influence on your life? To what extent can you say, whether it's in the area of your work or, or at home or your spiritual life or your relationships, to what extent does this fear if I'm not perfect, and if people don't see me as perfect, something terrible is going to happen to me. To what extent does that fear have an influence on your life? Well, what we're talking about today is 
the gospel's answer to perfectionism in the world today. Go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We're kind of parachuting into Galatians today because it's Palm Sunday. It's the, the Sunday or it's the, it's the celebration of the week where Jesus rode in to Jerusalem. And like Matt was talking about a few minutes ago, you know, he got a king's welcome. They took palm branches and they waved the branches saying, this is our king. But little did they know the way he was going to establish his kingdom and take control of his kingdom wasn't by, you know, kicking the Romans out, but by dying on a cross. And so what we're talking about today is that in this world where perfectionism to one degree or another has an influence on a lot of us, that the answer to perfectionism, when that voice in the back of your head is saying, oh, you screwed that up, you're not good enough, what are people going to think? The answer is found in what Jesus did for us in the cross. So look at me with, uh, look with me at Galatians 3, 10 through 14. So Galatians 3, 10 through 14. So what we'll see, we'll see two things. Thanks, Matt. We're going to see two things. First of all, the gospel's answer is that you are not perfect. God is perfect and you are not perfect. Okay. But secondly, we're going to see that that's okay because Jesus has been perfect for you. Well, look with me at, uh, at Galatians 3, starting in verse 10. It says, All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Okay, so what's this talking about? All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. What's this talking about? Well, uh, so I, it, we just finished our series in Exodus a couple, a couple months ago. Y'all remember that? Well, go back to Exodus mode with me for a second here. So when God had brought the Israelite people out of Egypt, he was bringing them towards the promised land, this beautiful place where he's gonna, gonna bless them. They're gonna have this wonderful life. And when they get to the Jordan River, which they're about to cross into the, the promised land, they stop. And God tells Moses to remind the people of all of the laws, all of the instructions that he had given them in, in, in the, the first five books of, of, of the Bible so far. And so if you, this, uh, this, this phrase, all who rely on the works or, or um, curse be everybody who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. This is a quote from the book of Deuteronomy. And so the word Deuteronomy, it literally means the second giving of the law. Because as the people are about to go into the promised land, God stops them and he says, okay, remember, you're about to go into this awesome place. Now remember, don't forget all these things that I have told you about how you're supposed to live when you get there. And in, Ex in, uh, in Deuteronomy 28, after he's reminded them of all of the, the Ten Commandments, all of the other laws, there's 613 laws altogether, he's reminded them of all the different things he's told them to do. This is what he says in, in Deuteronomy 28. He says, now if, it's a big word, if, if you obey my voice and do all these things that I've told you, then I'm going to bless you. And he goes on to tell them, if you obey the things that I have told you to do, I'm going to bless you in every conceivable possible way. 
I'm gonna bless your, your health. I'm gonna make sure you don't get sick. I'm gonna bless your families. You're gonna have a lot of healthy children. I'm gonna bless your, your, the land. You're gonna have, your agriculture is gonna be blessed. Your animals aren't gonna get sick. I'm gonna bless your, your, um, your relationship with, your, with the, the surrounding peoples. They're not gonna come and, and defeat you. You're gonna be able to go and defeat them. I'm gonna bless you in every single conceivable way. But if you don't listen to my voice and if you don't obey the things that I've told you today, then you won't be blessed, but you'll be, but you'll be cursed. And he goes on to describe, if you don't listen to my voice, if you don't obey me, you're gonna be cursed in all the ways and all the areas that I promise to bless you if you don't, if, if, you, if you obey me. And he goes on to say, he goes on to list all these, honestly, if you wanna go and, and look at it, it's kind of depressing. It's, it's honestly, in my opinion, it's one of the most horrifying chapters in the Bible. If you read Deuteronomy 28, it goes on to list just these really gnarly, gruesome things that basically if the people disobey God, if they don't keep his commands, all these terrible things are gonna happen. They're gonna get sick, there's gonna be plagues, you know, their, their, their animals are gonna die, there's gonna be famine, there's gonna be natural disasters, and ultimately, God says, if you don't obey me, I'm gonna allow one of these nations that are nearby to come and conquer you, to destroy your cities that you work so hard to build, and to carry you off as slaves to go to, to a foreign country. Right? So this is what God says. He says, I've put before you, I put before you life, if you obey, life and blessing, or or curses and death if you don't obey. Now, doesn't this sound a little bit like perfectionism? Do, do you see that a little bit? Doesn't this sound kind of like that voice that's in the back of your head? When you screwed that up, you have to be perfect, all this type of stuff, right? And it, do, you know, it, it does sound that way a, a little bit. You know, it's completely in your hands. If you are holy like God is holy, then you'll be blessed. But if you're not, if you screw up, if you disobey, if you sin, then you'll be cursed, all right? Well, what happens to the Israelites? Should they obey? They don't obey. And all of the things that God promised, all of the curses that, prom that God promised would happen to the people if they disobeyed, happened to them. And ultimately, ultimately, the Babylonians came in, defeated, they defeated uh, the Israelites, and they carried them off to Babylon to, to be slaves, okay? So when, when Paul is saying, curse be everybody who relies on the works of the law, this is what he's talking about. He's saying that we're just like the Israelites, okay? That God gives us his commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And can we keep them? No, no, we, we can't. We can sometimes a little bit, but ultimately, ultimately we, we don't, do we? And so the penalty for this is, is the curse of the law because it's not enough just to have the law. It's not enough just to have our Bible. It's doing the law. It's obeying the law that gives us life and that gives us blessing. And so have you guys ever listened to Dave Ramsey before? You know, um, I used to listen to his, uh, his show. You guys know what I'm about to say? And, um, and there's somebody calls in and they're like, hey, Dave, how you doing? And he's like, better than I deserve. You guys heard this before? And it's kind of cheesy. It's like, okay, yeah, tell me, okay. Um, but, but it's true, isn't it? That when we look at what we deserve from God, no matter what's going on in your life right now, it's better than we deserve, isn't it? Because what we deserve 
is to be cut off from God, to be cursed, and, and, and ultimately death, okay? So that's the first thing, that we're not, per- that God is perfect, and, and we're not perfect. So what do we do about that? Well, Jesus has been perfect for us. Look with, with me at verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Okay, well, what is this talking about? Well, did Jesus obey God or disobey God? Did, did he sin? He, he obeyed God, right? Did he, did he, was he perfect before God? Hebrews 4, 15 says that he was, every single temptation that we go through, he went through too but he never sinned. He was without sin. He always completely, perfectly loved God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and with all of his strength. And he always loved his neighbors and the people around him, his enemies, perfectly. So what does Jesus deserve? Does Jesus deserve to be blessed or cursed? Blessed, which means Jesus is the only person in the history of the world that can honestly say, if you ask him, Jesus, how are you doing? Not as well as I deserve, <laughs> right? <laughs> Especially in certain situations. Not as well as I deserve. To be honest, not as well as I deserve, right? But he chose to leave the blessing that he had with the Father to come down into this world with all these curses in it and to experience this pain and suffering for what? For us, okay? For, for us. And this verse, in verse 13, it says, cursed is it, that he became a curse for us. He took on our curse so that we could have the blessing that we can only have if we completely obey God's, God's commandments and God's law. It says, cursed is everyone who is, who is hanged on a tree. What is this talking about? Well, in the ancient world, if you really hated somebody, and I mean if you really hated somebody, your worst enemy, this person has just been a, a blight on your existence, you've had this feud going on with them, you know, this is like your mortal enemy. All right, and then you defeat your enemy. In the ancient world, what was a common practice is they wouldn't just, they wouldn't just execute the enemy. What they would do, they, they, would kill, they would kill this person, and then they would, also, they would disrespect them, they would disgrace them publicly by not giving them a proper burial. So what they would literally do is they would take the, the corpse of, and I'm sorry, this is kind of kind of gory, that they would take the, the corpse of, of the enemy that they had defeated, and this was common throughout kind of that whole area, and they would literally hang it up from a tree. They hang it up from a tree, but usually by the neck with, with a rope or something. They hang it up from a tree, and then they just let that body decompose over time, right? And that was the ultimate way to disrespect and to shame somebody that you thought was just the scum of the earth, right? Well, the Romans took this practice to the nth degree. And with their enemies, when they really wanted to disgrace somebody, when they really wanted to show this person is an enemy to society, this person is cursed, you know, away with this person. Make sure nobody ever is like this person ever again. They wouldn't just deny the person a proper burial. They would take two long pieces of wood, a cross, and they wouldn't just kill you and put you on there. They would nail the person to the tree, to the cross, and 
and then they would die the slow, excruciating death on the cross. And then their bodies would, would decompose over time, okay? So what is this telling us? That on the cross, the cross is where Jesus took on the curse that we deserved. We looked last week at, um, in, in Matthew 5 about loving our enemies. And how does that passage end? Do you guys remember? It's this, this one that we kind of like to ignore sometimes because it makes us uncomfortable. It says, you must be what? You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I am holy. You must be holy as I am holy. The cross is the place where Jesus says to us, you are not perfect, you are not holy, but it's okay, because I'm taking the, cur you know that, that terrible thing that in the back of your mind, if I'm not perfect, if I'm not good enough, something terrible is gonna happen to me? That terrible thing happened to Jesus. He took the curse on himself so that we could have the blessings that we don't deserve. So what is the... What is the gospel's answer to that voice in your head that wants to remind you of the bad things you've done, to the mistakes, uh, of the mistakes that you've made, of all the ways that you don't measure up, of all the ways that that person you see on Facebook or Instagram or social media somewhere, the, all the ways that you're not as good as them or you're not as perfect as them or you're not as complete as them? What's the gospel's answer to that? Well, the world's answer, what the world says to us, is don't be so hard on yourself. You're perfect just the way you are. There's nothing wrong with you. The only problem you have is that you don't know how to love yourself enough. You're perfect just the way you are. And do you guys see that, that that's not, that's similar in some ways but do you see how that's not exactly what Paul is saying here? What he's saying is, you're not perfect. And that's a problem. Because we're not just talking about that one time when you, you know, forgot to dot your I's and cross your T's. We're talking about you have failed to do what you were created to do, which is to show the world what God is like. To lift high the name of God, to reflect the image of God. So Paul's saying, you are not perfect, and God is perfect, and that's kind of a problem. But it's okay. Not because God said, yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. My holiness really isn't that big of a deal. No, but because Jesus has been perfect for us, and the cross is the place where, his, where our sin gets transferred onto him, and his perfection, his righteousness, gets transferred onto us, which means the blessing that he deserved gets transferred onto us, and the curse that we deserved gets transferred onto him. Okay, so uh, let's spend a few minutes and think about this. What are the implications for our life if this is true? What are the implications for our life if this is true? And if you say, like it, like it talks about in this passage we just read, if you're willing to let go of your perfectionism, to let go and just face that voice in your head that says, you're not perfect, you didn't do this right, you made these mistakes, you sinned, and you're just gonna face that voice, and you're gonna give up your 
all this work that you do to try to pretend like you're perfect. What does this look like on a daily basis if we do this by trusting in Jesus? Not just by saying, hey, I'm fine the way I am, but by trusting that I am perfect in Christ. I am not perfect, but Jesus is perfect, and he's been perfect for me, so I am now perfect in Christ. What difference does this make? Well, let me give you three things. Number one, because we are perfect in Christ, if you are perfect in Christ because you put your, you've given up trying to be perfect on your own and instead put your faith in Jesus, if you are perfect in Christ, that means that we can be honest about our sin. We can be honest about our sin. You know, we talked at the beginning about this idea that one of the things perfectionism does is sometimes people who are perfectionistic, they're afraid to admit their mistakes. They're afraid to be honest about ways that they failed. Or, or maybe if they, if they do say, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, there's always kind of a but. There's always an excuse. There's always a, well, I shouldn't have responded to that person being such an idiot like I did, but you know, I mean, we're all human, right? There's always kind of some of that. Have you guys ever done, you know, if you do marriage counseling or if you read marriage books, how do they tell you to resolve arguments? What's the way to resolve a fight? It says to go to your spouse and say, for me to say to Lindsay, Lindsay, I did X, Y, and Z. That was wrong. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? Full stop and not add that thing that's always in the back of our mind, which is, <clears throat> do, you have, do you have anything you wanna say to, say to me? <laughs> any, any, anything, oh, okay, okay. Anything else you wanna, okay, yeah, well. Well, never mind then, I guess I don't mean that because you know, if you're not gonna meet me halfway, you know what I mean? If we're perfectionistic, we're afraid of being the bad guy or the bad girl. Right? So there's always a hedge. There's always a, but you kind of made me do it. But, you know, I was kind of doing it with the right motivation. But, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. But you know how we talk about open, open life? That's one of our family values here at Northwest. If, because we are perfect in Christ, if we are perfect in Christ, that allows us to have an open life. That allows us to be honest about our sin and our mistakes. So here's my question to you. What is a sin in your life that you're tolerating? What is a sin in your life that you're tolerating because you're afraid of what it would make you feel like if you really faced it? Who is somebody in your life that you have hurt that you haven't really fully apologized to. And maybe you've apologized, maybe, yeah, I shouldn't have said that, but you've never really fully apologized. I remember when Lindsay and I first got married, um, I was, and still am, a very critical and impatient person. And so there were a lot of times in our marriage where we would be you know, having an argument or we'd be trying to do something or talking about whatever. 
and I would lose my temper. I, I would get mad. I would say unkind things. You know, I, I would be in, impatient. And, you know, I, I would feel terrible, of course, like we all do. And, you know, I would, I would apologize and say, you know, I, I'm sorry for this. But I never really owned it. I never really fully owned it. it there was always, in the, in the back of my mind, I think with the way I would talk to Lindsay, there was always this, but you kind of made me do it. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have responded like that, but we all know who the real problem is here. There was some of that. Today's our anniversary, by the way, so. <laughs> Happy anniversary, Lindsay. <laughs> by the way, how come you always, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but then, I would say it was maybe four or five years into our marriage, I finally got to the point where I could say, Lindsay, you know, yeah, you're not perfect. You know, of course, nobody is. But, but I kind of have an anger problem. I, I'm a pretty impatient person. And that doesn't really have anything to do with you. That's kind of, that's my problem. And I'm sorry for being impatient. I'm sorry for losing my temper. I'm sorry for being so critical of you. Will you please forgive me? Full stop. And that's what makes, that's when a relationship can actually start to heal, is when you do that one direction apology. And not just, hey, I shouldn't have said this, but this is a problem for me. This is an area that I'm really needing to grow, and I'm sorry that I've brought this into, into our marriage. Okay, um, so who is that person for you that you have hurt, but you've never really apologized to them? Or if you, haven't, if you have apologized, you've never really apologized. Maybe it's a spouse or, or an ex-spouse. Maybe, maybe it's one of your parents. Maybe it's one of your, your children. Maybe it's one of your adult children that you've never really addressed some of the things that you regret because you're afraid of what are they going to think about me if I'm, not, if I'm not perfect. Well, that's the first thing, is that because we're perfect in Christ, we can be honest about our sin. The second thing that happens is when we put our trust in Jesus and we become perfect in Christ, because we are perfect in Christ, we can be free from shame and free from guilt. We can be free from shame and guilt. You know, I, I mentioned this uh, at the beginning, too, that, you know, one thing that perfectionism does is it constantly, you know, sometimes in our best moments, has this ever happened to you? Sometimes when life is going well, when you, you get that promotion, you know, when your family, everything in your family seems to be going well, and then what happens? There, there's that voice in your head that says, remember that time that you did that? You're a really awful person. Remember that thing you said? Remember, remember that thing that you did? Oh, how could you have ever done that? Are, are you, you're, you must not even be a Christian. I mean, how can you really have a relationship with Jesus and still do this? Okay? And, and, and we still live in this guilt and this shame because of things that we've done sometimes years ago. So here's my question to you. What is a sin that you have confessed, that you've confessed to God, you've confessed to people that you've hurt, but that you still experience guilt and shame over. You know, a second ago I said that sometimes this perfectionism can lead us to not own up to our mistakes, but other times it can lead us to be haunted by sins and mistakes 
that we've already confessed and that Jesus has already forgiven and that Jesus has already taken the curse for on the cross. What is something, what is a sin or a mistake or a relational failure or something that you've already repented of, you've confessed it to God, you've confessed it to others, but you're still haunted by it. You're still haunted by it. For some of us, if you've already confessed that sin, if you've already owned that, if you've already been honest about that, it's time for you to stop asking Jesus to forgive you. It's time for you to stop. Does that sound strange? It sounds for you to stop asking, can it ever be wrong to ask Jesus to forgive you? If you've already confessed that sin, it's time for you to stop asking Jesus to forgive you and to start thanking him that he has already forgiven you. You understand what I'm saying there? It's time to stop asking him to forgive you and start thanking him that he has already forgiven you. Um, for some of us, this is a practice that's been very helpful for me. This is maybe, this could help you too. You know, because I have, there have been times in my, in my life where, you know, I, I, would, I would just be haunted by things I've said, things I've done, things I've looked at, just haunted by these different things. And Satan would just use it to beat me up and even make me think, man, I, I must not even be saved because how could I have done this, you know, 10 years ago or, or, or whatever. And when that voice comes, when that voice comes, I encourage you to memorize Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1 says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. Condemnation is that thing that says, you suck, you're not good enough, you're terrible, you're awful, Jesus doesn't love you. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And next time, when that voice starts talking to you, like, oh, I can't believe I did that thing. Oh, I can't believe I did, oh, and you just kind of cringe. Don't sit there and beat yourself up. Don't sit there and imagine how you should have done it or, or convince yourself of all of the reasons why I'm not that person anymore, all this type of stuff. Instead, instead fight, fight back with the sword of the spirit. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There have been times in my life where I've been, the enemy's been tempting me with that shame, with that guilt, with that condemnation. I've had to say that probably a hundred times in one day. There's no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. And you keep on dwelling on the truth until that lie from your flesh or from the enemy starts to disappear. And we know if we resist Satan, he's gonna what? He's gonna flee. And so if you're stuck in that shame cycle right now, maybe that seems impossible. Maybe you've just gotten used to, well, this is just how life is. Like I have this voice in the back of my head that makes me think I'm a terrible person all the time. But that's not the way Jesus wants you to live. He wants you to take the sword of the spirit, take the truth that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and fight back and keep fighting back until it flees. Okay, now you might hear this and you might think, isn't that kind of arrogant? Isn't that kind of arrogant to say, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna stop asking. Isn't it just the, hum the humble thing to do to say, oh, I am so terrible and Jesus, please forgive me. I know I've asked you a hundred times already, but please forgive me again. Just wanna make sure. And here's the thing, which is more arrogant for you to say, Jesus, you tell me that I am forgiven and I am blessed because you took on the curse for me on the cross and I believe you. 
Is that arrogant? Or is it arrogant to say, Jesus, you say that you have forgiven my sins, cleansed me of all unrighteousness, but what do you know? Which one of those statements is more arrogant? The second one, right? To look at Jesus and say, you say you've forgiven me, but I don't really believe it. I mean, you, 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 you're probably underestimating what a big deal that sin was. That's what's arrogant, is when we say, when Jesus says that, hey, I've forgiven you, and we say, no, you haven't, you probably haven't. I probably need to work hard to fix it myself. Okay, that's the second thing. The third thing that happens when we can start to understand that we are perfect in Christ is that we start to have the courage to serve God. We start to have the courage to serve God. Let me ask you this. What is something, what is something that God is calling you to do? What is a way that you might be able to serve? What's a way that you might be able to be salt and light? But you're avoiding it because you're afraid you won't be good at it. What's something that God has given you the opportunity to do, maybe somebody's even invited you to do it, but you're, you're not doing it, you're too afraid, because what if, what if I'm not good at it? I think this is especially tough for people, for, for us in this, in this area, because so many of us are professionals, so many of us have a lot of education, we're used to, you know, we're, we're a doctor, we're a lawyer, we're an engineer, we're a, an architect, we're a software developer, we're, you know, we're, we're successful in business, we're used to doing things that we're good at. Right, And we have the, the accolades, we have the title that, that says, hey, this is somebody who's really good at, at, at doing X. And so when David, Matt, and, and I come along and we say, hey, let's learn to start talking to people about Jesus. And you think, man, if I start talking to people about Jesus, I'm gonna feel like an idiot. I don't know how to do that. But what I do know how to do is this thing that I spend all my time doing. And so I'm just gonna keep on doing this and then leave you know, talking about Jesus to the so-called experts, whoever those experts are, okay? What perfectionism does is says, I'm not gonna get out of my comfort zone. I'm not gonna try new things. I'm not gonna go read my Bible because I can't understand my Bible. I'm gonna feel like an idiot when I'm looking at my Bible. I'm not gonna share my faith because what if I make a fool of myself? We're afraid to try new things because what if we're not good at it? What if we fail and then we're not perfect? What is something that you've been avoiding doing because you're afraid that you might not be good at it. Well, if that's you today, I'd encourage you, let us help you. This is, when we talk about open Bible, open life, open faith, I hope what you've heard over the past several months, as we've been talking about our vision as a church, disciples making disciples, this is not the bring them to church and Matt and Ryan and David will do all the work type of church. That's not what this church is. This is a church of disciples making disciples, which means we wanna live with an open Bible, not just you come here on Sunday morning and we tell you what the Bible says, and, oh, that must be what it says, but you're opening the Bible every day on your own and, and being a self-feeder and learning from God directly. And, and not just that, oh, you, and yeah, of course we want you to bring your friends to church, we're gonna preach the gospel here, but we want you to have the joy of getting to lead your family members to Christ. We want you to have the joy of getting to tell people that you work with what Jesus has done for you. There's nothing that would give us more joy than for you to come to us, you can even come right after the service, and say, you know, to be honest, and this is embarrassing because, you know, I, whatever, but I really don't know how to share my faith. 
I don't know what I would say if I was going to talk to somebody uh, about Jesus. Will you help me? We would love to help you. Well, friends, happy Palm Sunday. And I'm thankful to be here with you celebrating the day where Jesus became cursed so that we could be blessed, where Jesus took on all of our imperfection and gives us credit for his perfection so we can be free from shame, we can be honest about the mistakes we make, and that we can be set free to serve him too. So let me pray for us. Jesus, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, but you are. And we're not perfect as a church, but you are. And so Jesus, today we look to you. God, as I think about the things in my own life that I'm ashamed of, I look to you. I know that there's no condemnation for me because of what you've done for me. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, for whoever is feeling that shame or is feeling that fear. Holy Spirit, would you work it in their hearts? Make it land on them what you've done for them on the cross. Now, please help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to turn our eyes away from us and turn our eyes to you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.